Welcome to the Talking Texas podcast. I'm your host, Hudson Standish. We're back with Mike Roach, my co-pilot at Horns 24-7. Mike, oh my God, we had a hell of a game this past weekend between Texas-Alabama. We'll hit on Texas-Alabama quite a bit in addition to previewing the UTSA game. We've got a loaded podcast. I thought about this about midway through the game last week. Is should we have given Texas more credit than we did, or was that a totally surprising outcome to everybody? I think it was pretty surprising to most like rational uh, fans, I guess. But I don't know, man. I I definitely have been wondering if maybe I short pinched Texas a little bit. But I mean, the good thing is, the good news is now we do have a little bit of a, I wouldn't say baseline, but we know that if this team's playing well, they can compete at a extremely high level. And I think Steve Sarkeesian kind of said it perfectly. I can't remember exact his exact quote, but it was something of, I talked to the players and now this is an acceptable form of play. So the standard rises. You've shown you can do this. Now we just have to be consistent. And yeah, we'll touch on some of the injuries that might uh, hurt Texas in the short term, but Long-term, if you're a Texas fan or if you're just a college football ex- observer, you have to – your um, thoughts on the Texas program and expectations had to have shifted after this past weekend. And while you don't want to get ahead of the – you don't want the horse to get ahead of the cart too much, right? But also when you play Alabama like that and by every indication from recruits, from just normal fans that we talk to, from analysts like – Everybody believes that if Quinn Ewers stays in the game and if a couple of really horrible breaks that we'll talk about don't go there, like don't go against them, Texas probably wins that game. Yeah, I think I probably misread it when I said last week, I don't think Texas can go drive for drive with them. So, you know, they're going to have to get an early lead and, you know, play ahead and hope that it's enough. I don't think I gave the defense enough credit. I don't know where you want to start at your show. But, I mean, if Texas gets that type of defensive performance week in and week out, especially from the guys up front where we worried a lot about the the pass rush and pressure you could put on quarterbacks, I think it changes season expectations for them. It has to. The pass rush was extremely good. I thought that this was just a uh, Pete Kwiatkowski kind of – put some respect on my name type game, right? Where he was really dialing it up. I think that you kind of had one of the biggest chess moves very early in the game when Jalen Ford comes in unopposed on a um, on a just straight A-gap blitz. Jameer Gibbs doesn't pick him up, which then caused, causes Bill O'Brien on passing downs to remove Jameer Gibbs from the game for almost two quarters because he's worried about him in pass protection which neutralizes the fact that Jameer Gibbs was by far the uh, biggest receiving threat for Alabama on the day, which we knew Jameer Gibbs was that dude, but, you know, the the receiving threat in particular is going to be really intriguing to NFL teams. But while I'm talking about receivers for Alabama, Mike, we kind of talked about it off air. I've got to put my hand up. I was very worried and on the preview pod, was very much almost shaking talking about Jermaine Burton, Kobe Prentice, Treshawn Holden, that entire Alabama group of receivers. And they were pretty underwhelming and give credit to the Texas defensive backs who absolutely neutralized them. I thought Ryan Watts was phenomenal. I thought that Jameer Johnson, once he had to replace um, Deshaun Jameson, was fantastic. Gilbo had a little bit of a rough start, but settled in. Jade Barron was fantastic. And then not as much even on the pass, but just both safeties, Jaron Thompson and Anthony Cook, like round of applause, man. Anthony Cook played his best game of his career against Alabama, and it was evident really early how good tackling he is, like how sure-handed tackling he is. And there's a lot of been a lot of times over the last couple of years where guys get to the second level it's almost a foregone conclusion. They're going to miss an open field tackle or break an open field tackle. Yeah. He was so good, especially on those screens on the perimeter. Oh, yeah. And it killed Texas for so long. I mentioned it after the Louisiana Monroe game, but I thought that they looked better in that game of fighting through the blocking, getting to the ball carrier, making the tackle with either a negative or, 
you know, maybe one or two yard game. And I thought it continued this week. I, I think he was tremendous. Him and I, I commented on this after the game, he and Jalen Ford, I thought were all over the field, just watching it live. And that was without me keeping up with stats and then went and looked at their stats and they were the two leading tacklers on the team. I thought that a lot of the Alabama game plan was, I wouldn't say exclusively trying to run away or, um, you know, use the protection to neutralize DeMarvey and Overshone. But I did think that it was, I, I noticed a few different times that I thought that was probably one of their game plans coming into it. And Jalen Ford stepped up. I Really, it was just, you have the one bust on the, J, uh, on the Jace McClellan 81 yard touchdown. Like, that's kind of it for the defense. Yeah, like two, I had I, there were some people on Twitter and other, you know, just board posts that were like, well, the defense really should have stopped. You're not going to stop every single Alabama possession. Like Bryce Young just won the Heisman. Like you, you the, the expectation for them towards the end of the game of, okay, well, they stopped them on six drives in a row. Like they've got to do it for a seventh. Like, it just was one of those things to where eventually when it came down to winning time, it was going to be tough to stop Bryce from getting three points. I mean, that's why he's a Heisman Trophy winner. Like he's – that's why he was the number one player in the country. That's why Quinn Ewers was the number one player in the country. and Why we saw him get off to the start he did. Those guys make yeah. exceptional plays at exceptional times. I want to go back to your point about Pete Kwiatkowski because – you and I laughed about how much the national broadcast I thought painted this as a Gary Patterson cameo. And while I'm sure Gary Patterson had a hand in, in helping game plan, people forget that like Washington's faced Alabama in a playoff game with Pete Kwiatkowski as the defensive coordinator before. Yeah. He's seen players of this caliber for Alabama before, maybe not the same offense, but certainly seen those types of players. And when he was hired, was a guy that Sark had said, you know, that guy was the one that would give me the most trouble as a play caller. So I think that, you know, you, you mentioned that he he and the rest of the defensive staff were rightly criticized last year for some things. But it's also time to give them some praise for, for getting You've prepared. you got to give them the flowers. Like I would, I would also say – Man, if Bo Davis can get Tavondre Sweat and Keandre Coburn and Moro Jomo to play like that each and every week, then Bo Davis is worth his weight in gold. And Bo Davis Absolutely. did a lot. So I, I thought those guys were so good and not just um, overwhelming guys with their size. They were so good with their hands, like on the on the safety uh, or, or the should have been a safety play. Tavondre Sweat was so good with his hands on that play. Yeah. It just defeated the guy in front of him, uh, you know, to, to get into the backfield. So, yeah, I all praise goes to the defensive staff for their work. When I talked to Marcus Deal on Saturday or on uh, Thursday night, and I released the story on Saturday, sorry, he mentioned, and for those who aren't as familiar with recruiting, this is a top 100 um, priority target for Texas, a defensive lineman who him and Bo Davis talk almost every other day. And he kept on saying to me, like, Coach Day, Coach Bo really thinks that he's got these guys ready to, like, compete against Alabama. And it's easy to say that, but to watch it in practice, I thought one of the tone-setting plays early in the game, like, you do have these, these moments that on the box score or in the game summary don't look as big, but when you go back and watch, um, it's just pretty clear that, Anytime they tried to run outside zone, Moro Ajomo and Keandre Coburn or Tavondre Sweat, I thought Baron Sorrell actually did a really good game. Like, he's not on the box score a ton, but he had a really good game of just setting the edge properly and just kind of dominating that Alabama defense, offensive line. It was so impressive. But you mentioned Quinn Ewers. Let's get into the actual, I guess, first quarter. So Alabama drives down the field. Texas gets them in the negative yardage and luckily, you know, forces a field goal. On the next drive, Sark comes out and is just absolutely in his bag with that opening script. Yeah, and the script was going fine until the Hayden Connor penalty. And you thought, you know, typically that's a play that 
That's a script back, And then they're punting, they're behind the chains. And now it's just, here's a casual deep out from the far hash, um, right on the money from Quinn Ewers to Xavier Worthy. I mean, it was a, look, I know we've all said it when Sark was hired that like, this is the best offensive coordinator in the country. One of the great offensive minds out there. And I think a lot of people said, well, it's easy to do at Alabama with all that talent. Through a five and seven season and through the first two games of this year, I think he's proven his method works. It's just about getting the players in place and they're starting to get those players in place if they can keep them healthy. If you if you're listening to this and you haven't rewatched the game, even if you don't have the stomach to go through the entire thing with all the missed chances and everything, at least watch the shift into a pistol full house set where Sark just absolutely schemes open a wide open Rashawn Johnson uh, catch in the flat that turns into a 25 yarder. One of one of my one of my favorite just as a scheme junkie, one of my favorite plays from this game. So Texas throw that anyone could make. It wasn't a difficult. Yeah, exactly. And Quinn made some difficult throws, but that is such a good settle your quarterback into the game play because all he has to do is flick it out there, and it's a basically 25, 30 yard game into Alabama territory. Yeah, I mean it was a lot of new stuff, a lot of stuff we didn't see obviously for Louisiana Monroe, um, and that's kind of when you pull those types of plays out. Um, I don't know how you want to do this where you keep going through drives. I think just like we talked about the defense, we worried about the offensive line, especially facing Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and all the guys Alabama has up front. And while they couldn't get a lot going in the run game, they were so much better than expected in mass protection. And it helped probably that Will Anderson had one of the all-time like bonehead games of his career with like three offsides penalties and a late hit. But and it is and it is funny too that like Will Will Anderson had a late hit, bunch of offsides penalties, but like at the same time really was fantastic in the run game and I don't think got enough credit for disrupting the Texas run game as much as he did. Him and Dallas Turner and we'll get into the, that a little bit later, but he had the big I'm, stack at the end of the game too that like yeah. kind of where Texas could have kept extending that drive, running the clock down and maybe kick that field goal with no time left. Instead, Will Anderson had the big sack. And a lot of people were talking – so I went back and rewatched the game. And it's not I, – I think it's – I don't think it's that hard to rewatch. I think it's – you look at it and you go, wow, you should be proud of that effort. Because everybody on both – on all three phases of the game, you know, played their asses off. But I think the – thing that missed and again i'm jumping ahead here but like on that last sack of hudson card john robinson is probably the guy that that picks him up coming off the edge because it looks like they free released him and he slips on the fake handoff and lets anderson come free yeah Um, which by the way somebody john slipped a lot in week one too somebody needs to see something about his weeks yeah it in now dealing with a little bit of a shoulder issue it's just a it's just been a little bit of a tough start to him for the year. And obviously he'll rebound. He'll be fine. But yeah, it, that was a definitely a big play, but basically on the last, uh, on the final drive, you get the first, Oh no, are we in a ref show type moment? And that is Kool-Aid McKinstry, who we both respect a lot as a player and as just a personality gets away with an extremely blatant pass interference call on Jatavian Sanders. Texas is forced to kick a field goal. The, you know, two or three plays later, Jace McClellan takes outside zone to the crib. And at the time, it's just a little bit of a wonder of, okay, is this what we were expecting? Did they, did they trade scores only for Alabama now to turn on the, the death beam? But again, credit to Texas they really responded on that next drive, which included, I think, everything that fans wanted to see from this offense, which was Quinn Ewers in a really gorgeous uh, game plan from Sark. I loved how they used Andre Carrick as a de facto uh, tight end with the 92 number. They did that week one as well, but just that personnel package where you're essentially in 12, but 
really are playing with six offensive linemen just worked so well for taking those deep shots. And it didn't really matter that um, they only would have two guys uh, running routes on the play. They hit Jordan Whittington on the thumb concept that Sark loves a ton. And then Xavier Worthy just wins a one-on-one matchup and gets redemption for a drop touchdown. Yeah. I think um, going back to the McClellan play, I think I audibly just yelled in my living room, like, Oh, here we go. Um, it, it seemed that easy for them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they were, they were battling and they were, again, I, I don't know. I don't know. Did Sark say how many plays they had scripted? Probably not. Normally he uh, goes 15. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure that the second drive was still part of a little bit part of scripted, but again, I mean, they were, they were it, it, the painful part of all this is it feels like 2009 all over again. Because you're like, when Cole got hurt, you're like, well, they were moving down the field on Alabama at will. They were doing the same thing with Quinn Ewers in the game. And he, you know, for a guy that had a shaky start last week and probably didn't rip it up the way people wanted to see him rip it up against a team like Louisiana Monroe, he was so good against yeah. a, a defensive unit like Alabama. And I would say, you know, you mentioned Kool-Aid McKinstry, who, who's really good. I mean, Bama's loaded in the secondary year in and year out. Those guys are really, really good. And the Texas receivers did a really good job in that game getting open. Now, they're schemed open a lot, and there was yeah. a lot of, you know, a lot of advantages to that. But, yeah, it, it was once, – once McClellan scored and then Texas went back down the field, I thought, okay, we may have something here until then yep. that beautiful moment happened. Yeah, and basically it's a little bit of a broken play and Quinn Ewers just gets driven into the turf. I will say I did not in live time view it as a intentional play. I know some people did. Um, I didn't view it as an intentional drive into the ground from Dallas Turner. I thought also, I will say this, Dallas Turner and Will Anderson post-game like Nick Saban after the game got on to his guys for doing a very quick horns down before he said, you know, I think he said, quit that shit out or don't do that shit. Yeah. Uh, but Will Anderson and Dallas Turner both really impressed me post game with Will Anderson just being about as humble and as, I, I don't know, complimentary as he could be. And then Dallas Turner with some kind words to Quinn yours as well. I, I rewatched it. I, I don't know what you think. Maybe I'm off base and I'm not viewing it. I did not think it was a dirty play. No, it was very clear. By the way, Will Anderson almost made the play. He was the first guy that, that yeah. Quinn escaped. And if he would have got him by like the ankle or something, Quinn would have probably just gone down harmlessly and it would have been a negative play and you wouldn't have had that. But I mean, he was clearly like in the air throwing and kind of twisting as he was throwing. Yep. And Anderson or uh, Turner just caught him in the air and they fall into the ground. I mean, I was shocked they called a penalty on, on the deal. And I, I know we're going to talk about officiating at some point. I was shocked they called a penalty on him for that. And that is the that is the I think main point of um there's no sort of <laughs> there's no sort of bias in the game. It's just incompetent officiating. Because it's all harsh, man. Yeah. Well, I, I, but but almost to the point to where it surpasses the meme. I mean, had that been the other way around, and that was Baron Sorrell driving, like getting to Bryce Young, and that happening, yep. it was almost. Thank God they overturned it. But it was almost like the Demarvin yep. Overshow and Ruffin call. It's like, and I will what say are you this: guys see, what do you say? It's, it's just like, what do you guys see? Yeah. Uh, well, I I think my thoughts on it too. For the Alabama fans that were complaining at the same time, you are talking about the difference of maybe two yards, right? Yeah. It's a it's a personal foul penalty while we're already at well, Texas is already at the goal line. So you're moving from the three to the one and a half. So it's not even like the penalty did that much, but it's just such an odd call. And then you know, like we might as well just talk about it now because if not, we're gonna forget. Then you have the safety debacle, which still you look on the replay, his shin is down before he gets the ball off. Even if he does get the ball off, as a quarterback, 
when you are going to the ground in the end zone, yeah, you're trying to throw the ball, but you cannot tell me that Bryce Young was intelligently trying to do anything than just get the ball out of his hand. Like you still have to find a receiver. And I'm watching the play right now. As, like, as I pulled it up, Shin is down. He is literally just chunking the ball and it goes into Marvin over Shown's head. You have to call an intentional grounding because again, he's not making a football like he's just trying to get the ball away so that's two points off the board and and there's yeah, a great Texas, chance there's a great to? there's a great chance they would have looked at grounding had they not been wrapped up in trying and, to call targeting and roughing fast. well well what sucks though mike is that intentional grounding they can't even look at it i learned after the game they can't look at it but you know you've seen it many times where a guy they, they would have huddled up and yeah. they would have huddled and said okay what, what do we think there yeah it is tough too when you're looking at it because again they're so focused on the the targeting element that and also the official that threw the flag. I I will do my best to find the video. It's a good three seconds after Young gets rid of the ball that he tosses the flag for. So just an absolutely baffling situation. I felt like I was losing my mind in real time, and I'm sure a ton of tech in the stadium. I can't even imagine because I'm seeing replays. People in the stadium uh, just – I can't even imagine what y'all's experience was. You know what was funny? My wife, as I'm sure many out there who have a wife or significant other that watches football with them, they expect us to know everything that's going on. For the most part, I can be like, oh, you know, they called this, they called that. I, the, she kept going, what's going on? And I was like, I have no clue. No clue. <laughs> I mean, we're trying to figure it out too. Also – Hey, uh, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get the refs this tiny bit. At least my man said, hey, this was explained to me incorrectly. We're not going to penalize anybody. Now, that doesn't well, put they knew that they, on the board. they wouldn't get out of the stadium. I, I will give yeah. no credit to those war criminals. I, How I, many I, times, though, have you seen referees make a, a like a visibly horrible call like that? I'd be like, well, we made the call. We got to stick to it. You're correct, but also it's almost the same thing of like, okay, well, you're still taking points off the – like. Yeah, that that's the guy Frazier in you. I will not give these refs. No, no, no. I, I, you know me. I don't give referees any any credit. But I, I at least was shocked they did that. How about what do you think the conversation was like inside? Oh, oh, f word. Yeah, it's like okay, who told me this was roughing? <laughs> yeah, whoever that. And also, <laughs> I, again, I'm watching it play out, so it's perfect timing. But Sark is just livid. Sark is just like apoplectic that this is going on he's like that's two points we get the ball like what are we doing <laughs> exactly and i did see our colleague who i i really do uh like and you're close with greg biggins kind of complaining about texas fans uh with the safety call of oh well alabama would have that game completely scripted different depending on the lead well the point is too is that like you said texas gets the ball back like, and with yeah. Texas with the two-point lead, the same argument can be made of, okay, if it's not a tie game, we can maybe take a little bit more of a chance here. Maybe on this. Sure. And I think, you know, obviously Greg and to pull back the curtain, Greg and Bryce Young are very close. Oh, I didn't even think about that angle. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's I don't want to hear those arguments. It, it's a difference of can Bryce Young play for a field goal at the end of the game versus does he have to score a touchdown? Exactly. Like, exactly. So, again, you can't, you cannot undersell, like, like how important that play was. And to get it completely wrong, it's just, it's, it's embarrassing. And it really stinks for fans. And I, I don't know, we'll talk about a couple of other calls. Like, obviously, I think the missed holding on the Bryce Young scramble is pretty tough. I didn't even catch it in real time, but you know, and then you just have a lot of other, uh, a lot of other moments that go don't go Texas's way. I mean, the other like super obvious one was Texas driving to score a touchdown in the face mask. Keelan Robinson gets grossly face masked, almost his head turned around, and just no call. And that would have been again, maybe well, I think he was like at the four, so you'd have been at the two. So I, I checked. It was a second and five, I think, at the eight that would have been a first and goal at the four, which, c come on. Yeah, I mean, it's a negligible yard gainage, but it's first down. 
And considering where everything is on the field, like if there's a fourth down in that type of situation where your goal to go, it's a little bit easier to pull the trigger and go for the two possession lead than when it's fourth and six on the, you know, nine yard line. Right. And Hudson card already isn't Hudson card already isn't healthy in the slightest. I've got to apologize to a poster on the message board because like, there was, I can't remember if it was post-game or if I was just looking at a threat during the game or halftime or something, but somebody said, hey, the refs are screwing this. And I and my immediate response was, well, I mean, they penalized Alabama like a million times today. And it was just a very short-sighted response by me because when I went back and looked at it again, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's not like they were penalizing Alabama on, unfor- on judgment calls. They were all like very clear – yeah, you know this guy's offsides. This is a this is a very clear late hit. This is, you know, things like that. Yeah, where there's where there's no question that like you cannot hold the flag in your pocket if Will Anderson, after Jatavian Sanders falls on his own, decks him to the ground. Like there's no um, ambiguity there. But you, in the same sense, it's like there's no ambiguity in the fact that Keelan Robinson's head turns right. Like, that's the you know, point. It's like, again, and I'm not excusing the refs here. Plays happen, calls get missed all the time. Maybe you just gaffed the safety call. Maybe you missed the holding call. But on things like that face mask, you have to get those. They're right in front of you. It was it was a little bit tough, Mike. Um, in addition to all of the calls that didn't go their way, I thought I thought that one of the keys to the game that I that I do think that the Crimson Tide did a really good job and credit to Pete Golding you know they made Texas pass to beat him especially especially when uh Hudson Card got out of the game it always felt that Bijan Robinson was one missed tackled away from really breaking one and I think you saw the speed of the Alabama defense a big time run game there was an early play where they tried to run like inside zone right and Bijan bounced it back out left and tried to go for the corner. And against just about every other team on the schedule, he probably gets there, and it's probably a 20- or 30-yard game. And Alabama just beat him back to the edge so quickly. And that's that's their speed. That's why they're so good. On their end, I, I commented on this, and I wrote about it last week. I mean, I don't think people realize how close Jalen Moody was to transferring to Texas in the offseason. And how big is that? Because, I mean, outside of Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Jalen Moody was the guy I noticed most in the game for Alabama. Yeah. Um, another one I will say for Alabama players in the preview that uh, got some gassing up, J- uh, Jaheim Otis really didn't do much. Not at all. Like, there were people, even on the broadcast, they are like, well, just wait till Jaheim Otis gets in. And I didn't I, – I, on the rewatch, I noticed him in the game – but like didn't notice him making plays really at all. Here is another, um, I guess, dynamic that I wanted to hit on before we move to the UTSA game is just with all of the injury trouble at um, quarterback, what is the expectation during this stretch? Let's say that, let honestly, let's say that Quinn is back by the Oklahoma game, or even if he gets, halfway back for the West Virginia game. What is, what needs to be the expectation? What is the, um, I guess, uh, what should be the listener fans vibe heading into this stretch? I mean, it all depends on how healthy he comes back, how he feels throwing the injury, I believe was to his non throwing side. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, it's his left. And I don't. I didn't play quarterback. So Hudson, you played quarterback. I don't know if you ever injured anything like that. I actually did have a left uh, shoulder injury. Oddly enough, it's a. I, it's. I don't know how that affects your your throat. It's the torque that gets you, Mike. Like when you're when you're torquing your hips and it kind of moves up. Like when you're doing that motion, it is very painful. But I think Sark put it best, and um, you know, I, I will say this uh, kind of went against the medical advice of Dr. Drew Brees, who had a great um, in-game thing saying, hey, just shoot it up with some Trank, Quinn, and get back in there. Well, maybe not. Uh, You're never going to be able to lift your kids up. (laughs) Yeah, but Sark kind of did put it like, listen, it's just pain right now. Like, there's nothing 
structural to the level of like, it's not, you don't need surgery. You don't need to go under the knife, but it's just painful because if I'm correct, I believe it's where the clavicle meets the sternum. So it's just a pain tolerance thing. So anytime, like it's going to affect your throwing motion just because you're not going to be as comfortable. I will say this though, anybody who is questioning or wondering whether Quinn is going to be at the early or I don't know, late time at the timetable, you watched him, you have firsthand experience watching him uh, battle through a pretty nasty hernia injury during South Lake's run to state. So like he is a tough, tough player. Yeah. I, I mean, that was really the only injury I can recall in his high school career. And it was a bad one. And even then, no Playing through it less than what would you, what was what did Riley say at the time? It was less than like 60 percent. Yeah, like I talked to Riley Dodge after that state title game and just said, like, on the level, how how much was Quinn hurt? Like, what would you put him at percentage wise? I think he said like 40 percent. Goodness gracious, which is a awful number. Like, at 70 percent, I'm like, okay, we could take our chances with this. Yeah. In early in the game was just in that Westlake game was making those elite throws and yeah. all that sort of thing. And I think probably the pain caught up to him and he took some hits. That's going to be the thing when he comes back is Big how time. are they going to minimize the chances of him getting hit? How are they going to minimize the chances of getting hit? And when he does get hit, is he going to be able to rebound or it does a four to six week injury or, you know, three to four, turn into a season-long ailment to where he really has to wait until the offseason to get fully healthy. And, you know, it, can Hudson Card play at a good enough level with his own injury concerns to kind of alleviate some of the pressure for Quinn to fully be back by West Virginia, right? Like, I, I, I another thing that I got wrong, and I have some hits from preseason that I'm excited about, but one thing I got wrong, I thought West Virginia would be a lot better than they actually were. West Virginia lost to Kansas at home in Morgantown. So them coming onto the road uh, to Austin is not as concerning of a game as maybe I thought as they were really just a fluky uh, dropped pick six, or, you know, a dropped pass turned into a pick six away from beating um, their arch rivals pit. So that that game might not be. Color me never a big fan of Neil Brown. I don't really get it. Um, but, I mean, that said, Texas lost to West Virginia last year, so nothing's off the table. Um, I don't know if you want to move on, but I still have some thoughts on the Bama game. Yeah. We've got to – first of all, big update for the specific things draft. And we did not reveal this last week, and I'm almost scared to reveal it this week because what if I spoke it into existence? But as Jason Todd – Reminds me always. It's all. It's already written. Hudson and I were kind of joking around before the game a couple of days about the specific things draft and how he had a pick about how Hudson Card would have his Shane Bouchelle moment and come in in relief and win a big game. And I was like, man, could you imagine if it was this week, like if Quinn got hurt and Hudson Card came in? So the Quinn gets hurt, and I'm like, okay, well Hudson's coming in, but obviously like Bama's now a way more of an advantage. And then he almost did it. And the fact that he almost did it on a bum ankle, look, I know he wasn't great, but he was good enough. Yeah, and and he had two big throws that were showing a level of poise in a big moment. That the the gorgeous schemed open ball to Bijan Robinson to give Texas a chance, and obviously Will Anderson blocks the kick, which I don't think he got enough credit for um, because there was some. What did you say? Was that a bad snap? It was a bad snap and it was a bobbled hold, but you know, Anderson gets a paw to it. And again, that's another missed opportunity, but, um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Well, he had the other throw. It wasn't. A huge yeah. The other throw to Casey Kane. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I thought and that's when, that's when I was thinking, Oh snap, I might have to post this screenshot to Twitter along with my round nine selection. How about the big, like the biggest development for Hudson Card was that his pocket presence improved times a million. Now he's got his own injury issues, and as we saw late in the game, was having a lot of problems driving off his back foot. And he's not naturally arm talented enough 
to not be able to drive off his back foot and push the ball. But yeah. I mean, you, you're really only your generational elite like, arm talent guys would be able to do that. And, you know, again, that's the thing with Quinn mm-hmm. is that he would have been able to do that in that situation. But I don't know. It's just a ton of credit to Hudson for doing that. Like you said, it really did impress me so much the level to which uh, he was able to improve that pocket feel and poise. And if he can do that on a consistent basis, like I don't think there's any doubt, right, that Quinn Ewers is the guy for the next two years. He, he, the way that he moved the ball around, it's just that's pretty simple yeah. to see. But it doesn't mean that Hudson Card can't uh, maximize to his potential, we thought, coming out of high school and end up as an NFL player. Yeah, and Hudson gutted it out. He even had that big run um, where you could tell it was clearly like he limped out of bounds. But, uh, you know, I thought – all praise to him for a guy that I would say has had a pretty rough start to his college career. Yeah. He's probably hearing the criticism a lot. He went out there and turned it off in his mind and, and just played and was a warrior that day. I thought he uh, just such, it was a game too, that like had they won would have gone down as an all time. Remember that time Hudson Card did this on a bum ankle, like memory, you know what I mean? Like it, was, it was a legacy game for him almost. Um, but he deserves credit for staying engaged, staying in there and, and making plays. Absolutely. One more play. I think that we have to mention before we move on um, the Ryan Watts missed sack, um, but sneaky, the hold, I, I can't remember who it was on. Do you remember who the hold was on? I think it was Ophia Gofu. Yeah, I can't recall, but that play, I think, really did just drive the nail in the coffin for a lot of Texas fans of just the misery of just missed calls and missed opportunities because it's a two and one. You have a extremely, uh, um, you have an extremely poor uh, play by Ryan Watson. It's schemed up well, and all you have to do is make the tackle. Yeah, you know Ryan Watson is a fantastic tackler and had a great game, but you need to make that play. And you have a missed call by the ref, so it's kind of a double whammy. And apologies, apologies for the filibustering a little bit, but uh, Mike had to leave for a quick second. So other than that, I think that we're probably ready to move on to just prepping for the UTSA game. Yeah, in a game that <laughs> as quickly as you felt good, even in a loss against Alabama, UTSA is very capable of taking all of those feelings away uh, this Absolutely. week. You Absolutely. Make no mistake. You asked me earlier in the week, do you think Jeff Trailer would like to have Texas at their full strength to beat them? And I would say that in 10 years, nobody's going to remember that Texas wasn't at full yeah. strength. They're just going to remember that UTSA went into Austin and beat Texas if that happens. And so um, – And also, I will say that question was just kind of more of just a throwaway. Like, I wonder what Jeff's thinking. In all my years as a competitor, I don't. again, maybe it's because I'm not as much of a – you know, super like alpha competitive. Like, I don't know. I always loved it when somebody didn't have their best player. Like, I don't care. I'd like to win. It's part of the game. You know, injuries are a part of the game. And either way, I mean, you don't control what the other team does in that sense. So, yeah, I think they're more than fine with uh, playing Texas however they can and and winning however they can. Um, This isn't – a team that, you know, when you look at offensively, I think a lot of Jeff Trailer is an offensive mind and a play caller. Uh, they're like super RPO heavy. Uh, Frank Harris is a guy that, while not maybe a big time NFL prospect, can certainly is a college football player that will shred you if you do not give him the respect he deserves. Yeah, and they do have enough weapons. Like they've done a very good job recruiting those skill positions. Here's how I lay out the UTSA game. Some Somebody on the board mentioned the fact in one of my articles, I mentioned that, hey, uh, you know, Frank can really dial it up. And if you're not prepared and have a spy and t- if you're not totally there, like he'll dice you up on the ground. And they said, well, Bryce Young's better and we just handled him. It doesn't work like that, right? Bryce Young is much more content to stay in the pocket and – really really kind of keep the eyes downfield while Frank will take something 30 yards like and and also 
Bryce is operating within the system of Alabama and trying to do like, but at the same time, Frank kind of understands that a lot of the uh, shoulders of, or the weight on his shoulders for the team's success is there. So he's kind of having to put on the cape a little bit more. I think the other obvious thing to that is, are you going to get that performance out of your defense every week? For like, sure. Are, are you going to get those guys as tuned up for UTSA as they were for Alabama? It's a tougher thing to do. And I think it's something Sark's talked about a lot this week. But like you said, with the standard raising on, on their style of play, but you can't, it's, you can't take one for one. I mean, Texas did, you know, a great job against good teams last year in some aspects and then would falter against Kansas or West Virginia. It's, it's not a, it's a week to week game and you've got to get those guys ready week to week. You t- if you're not familiar with UTSA again, Frank Harris is a dynamic dual threat that has improved so much as a passer in his time at UTSA. And they have three guys on the outside or at wide receiver in Joshua Cephas, DeCorian Clark, and Zachary Franklin that are all bona fide matchup winners. This is the problem with the, this year's UTSA team. And I think Jeff, Jeff Trailer's um, Jeff Trailer's history as a high school coach really helps him as a head coach for UTSA because he's shifted the offensive philosophy to match his best personnel Um, with the fact that their best four players are a quarterback and three wideouts compared to the fact that in the really good year for UTSA, it was a lot of uh, sincere McCormick driven. And so it was, we have a good defense. We have sincere McCormick. Let's run the ball, play a little time possession. Now they're really trying to score on um, every possession. I think lead the country in uh, yards per drive. So that's that's the big threats for UTSA. Those um, those guys, and I, I do think that they have something uh, with the Arkansas transfer. I think Traylon Smith at running back, but I haven't been very impressed with their offensive line uh, to be completely frank. And I think their defense leaves a lot to be desired as well, which should help Texas in this uh, matchup. I do think their front can get after you. Like I watched the game against Houston and their front gave Houston a lot of problems and and really pressured uh, Clayton Toon all day. That's what I would say. I think for Texas, this is a, should be a run heavy game because is there anybody on UTSA's defense that can tackle Bijan one-on-one in the open field? Probably not. It's essentially just Rashad. It's Rashad wisdom, and that's kind of it. Yeah, and then you know if you could keep throwing it at them with, you know, Bijan and Roshan and Keelan Robinson, and maybe even throw a little Jonathan Brooks in there, you can keep that backfield fresh and rotating and going, and lean on with those big bodies up front. You, you know, I think that's the recipe to success. Hudson Guards, <coughs> excuse me, obviously going to be limited. Uh, with what he can do and you don't want him taking hits because he's one play away from Charles Wright being in the game. Um, I I think you've said it. We'll see, probably see a lot more wildcat uh, in this game. Um, But I think that's probably the recipe for Texas to win. Texas ran four plays against Alabama out of the unbalanced uh, shotgun go-go set that Brennan Marion has used a ton to where you have Rashawn Johnson as the quarterback and, to, and both backs are to the right of him to give an unbalanced look. Um, and I think we're going to see an expansion of that package. I don't think it's going to solely be go-go. I think there's going to be some other uh, wildcat principles that are used. And it's not even that, I, like if Hudson Card, even if he's 70 to you know 100%, like, it's not that the Wildcat gives them a better chance of scoring points in the moment, but it's just eating up plays and eating up ways to get yards that don't put the pressure on Hudson Card in a situation to where next week you might need him to go into Lubbock and get a win. And thank God that game's at 2.30, by the way, and not an, uh, not a night game. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that probably next week and then really get into Lubbock. But – yeah, I mean, I think that this is a game where you let your athletes your, – your athletes are better than UTSA's athletes. That's why you recruit. And so, you know, I think that you've got to lean on on your big your big horses there. And 
maybe Bijan Robinson's dealing with a little bit of a shoulder injury, but he's going to have to come to play. I mean, he's going to have to have 15, 20 touches in this game. I think it will be a, a bigger Rashawn Johnson game um, because he can handle those tougher carries, but get Keelan Robinson involved, get Jonathan Brooks involved um, and, and do as much as you can to just get out of there with a win and as healthy as possible. It might look a little bit like the Kansas state game from last year in the sense that maybe not how close it is. Um, but in the fact that Rashawn Johnson's going to have to really put on the Cape uh, as a, you know, <laughs> as a, game winner um check some stats on utsa just to double check that my um analysis wasn't totally off with the numbers basically in the 80s for every epa epa per play per game um success rate the pass defense definitely leaves something to be desired in that they're they're in the 100s but that statistic can be kind of skewed because they played against Army last week, who, as uh, if you're a college football fan, you already know that what Army wants to do on offense. And um, I guess just one more thing for me, at least on UTSA specifically, Mike, what do you think, what do you think their mindset is after back-to-back overtime games to start the year? They do get the redemption with the Army win, but, I don't know. That feels like it takes a little bit of a toll on a team. Yeah, I would say they may be a little battered, but you've got – I think they also know they've got a grand opportunity seeing a week in Texas. It's like, you know, my I, I used to wrestle with my dad when I was a kid, and I could never beat him, but one time his back was hurt, so I tried to take advantage of that and uh, and get a win. I think that's kind of how they're looking at it is Texas is, is wounded and – just like you saw the Texas players get up for the Alabama game, the UTSA players will get up for, for the Texas game. And I think that they know they've got – and look, there's nobody better at talking his guys into playing for him than Jeff Trailer, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, there's nobody better at rallying those guys and making them believe. And they've done enough under him that they do believe they can win games like this. So I think that although they may be a little battered, Maybe they played some long games. And look, I mean, that trip to, to West Point was probably no joke from a travel perspective. And then you got to line up and run your head into a wall against Army every play. But in the end, I mean, this is this is the season, the game they probably had circled on the schedule all year. Definitely. At the end of the day, it, it's really, to me, down to the defense and their consistency. If the defensive front seven plays as good as they did – UTSA won't be able to get anything done in the scripted scheduled run game. Not Frank Harris, you know, uh, with a four-man rush escaping and beating a spy, right? But in the just running your inside zone, outside zone power, I don't think they'll get be able to get anything done. And if the defensive backs hold up in coverage as well as they did this past week, you know, there will be – I think that – it's odd to say, but I think that UTSA will challenge them a little bit more in the one-on-one battles because, again, Jermaine Burton and crew just kind of put up a goose egg. But I'm just – I'm not – after watching them play this year, I'm not as worried about UTSA. Just – I think they're, of course, well-coached, but I don't think that they have the guys to really run with this Texas team if they put even, you know, half of the effort that they did against Alabama. Yeah, I mean, it's all going to depend on the performance they get. I am worried about this game. Um, I can so see- I'm assuming you won't have them covering? What is the spread again? It's, I believe, around 11-12. I was thinking like a 10-point win. Okay. Would be where I, I – I could see them locked in a fourth quarter where it's a one-score game and maybe Texas kicks a field goal to put it out of reach, makes a defensive play. Um, and I'm – look, I'm often wrong. So I'm prepared to, st- to be very wrong. 12 and a half, the number. 12 and a half. Yeah, I probably – that would almost be, if I bet more, that would be like an appetizing play to, to, uh, on UTSA, I think. I, 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 what are, are you uh, – you've got them covering, I would assume? Yeah, I have them covering. I, again, when I watched UTSA, their, their offensive line especially, I just think that they're in a little bit of a – retooling phase after they had a really great unit led by, I think Spencer Buford, who ended up making an NFL roster. Um, 
So again, nothing but respect for UTSA, the program. And I think that Jeff Trailer, if he wants to stay at UTSA forever, I think that he could legitimately be a um, almost like their version of Gary Patterson. Does that feel crazy to say? No, that's just what I'm like just head. like elevate the program and get them to double digit wins on a semi consistent basis. So nothing but respect for that program, and you know. But I don't necessarily think they have the guy. I was more worried before the year. Let's put it like that. Even though Frank Harris, I think uh, – here, here, here's a good way to put this, Mike. If Frank Harris was the quarterback for, I guess, a different um, like power five team that's fringe competing, like I, I don't know. I think he's a guy that could be like an all-conference power five level QB. Yeah. I mean, it'd have to be the right system. For but sure. They do they do a lot to help him. That, that is true. I was a big Frank Harris Stan fan in, uh, in high school when he was at uh, Shirts Clemens, I believe. Yep. Um, I remember seeing him throw. He, but you want to talk about old. I can't remember if he was class of 17 or 18. I thought um, 17. Yeah, I think 17, because I remember seeing him throw alongside of uh, Sam Ellinger at Elite 11. And now he's obviously, <coughs> excuse me, taking advantage of extra years. And I think he's got one year left. Can you imagine if he comes back next year, he's going to be like an eight-year player at UTSA. Uh, but I've always been a fan of him. I, I've always thought he's had some great, like, off-schedule play and, and able to really hurt you if you don't defend him the right way. Uh, I could see him at the right school, you know, being a, an all-conference quarterback at the Power Five level. Yeah, so again, just to kind of set the table for the talent that they're facing, I do think Texas will cover even with the injury concerns. And I think if they were fully healthy, I would feel fantastic about this game, right? But um, but also, if you're thinking this is going to be anything resembling Louisiana Monroe as far as a G5 versus Texas level, like I do think the, you need to recalibrate the expectations pretty quickly. Man, I, I don't know. Maybe I just have too much respect for Jeff. I, I think this is a, a very dangerous game for Texas, especially because they've shown in the past they don't handle success well. And I, I know it's probably a little maddening to some people out there that were calling last week's success and talking about how – I don't know. I think I, – I have to think most people that are listening to this understand that that was successful from a long-term program like – Yeah, and – I, I definitely view it as that, but they have shown in the past they don't necessarily handle success well. And so I've got to see it before they do it. You know what I mean? We talk about the, their advantage up front. Well, they had an advantage up front against Kansas, and it didn't matter. You know, they've had advantages up front. I might, I might, get, you for a, I might get you for a specific things there. I, I do think they've shown enough tangible improvement on the advantages up front. Uh, this season to where I'm going to marry last year until they show me otherwise. I I, I would say like, if they do it again this week, okay, I'm happy. Like give me three and okay. I'm, 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 I'll bury last year, but to me, the sample size is still small enough and I don't, it is. I don't trust that this program can come off of a game like last week and handle their business the way they need to all the time. And you're saying, you're saying to cover, not to win to be clear. I, I think they're going to win the game. I think Okay, so be, you're a lot more concerned than I even thought. I think it'll be closer than people think, but I think there's definitely a chance they lose this game. Very interesting. And uh, maybe that's just the battered Texas follower in me that's seen it so much and afraid well, of again. But let's make it let's make a show let's make a show bet, okay? Okay. What do you want the the point spread? Do you want it to be the spread, the 12 and a half, or do you want it to be like a seven and a half or like just like something along the lines of a little bit of flexibility? But if Texas handles business, do we want a uh, soliloquy from Mike to open the show being like, listen, the battered fan syndrome's gone. We will never die type moment. Yeah, we could do that. And if and if uh, if not, I'll just open the show with a man. I got a I got the Kool Aid in my. I, no, I got the you're Kool-Aid gonna open the show. Uh, um, 
Hudson, have you ever seen uh, Happy Gilmore? I have. So you know the part in Happy Gilmore when he has to go back to Chubbs and he's like, I'm stupid, you're smart. Yeah. Like, you've got to open with that bump. Okay. Listen, more than fair. I, I absolutely deal. Handshake agreement over Zoom. Let's get it. Here's another question I do want to ask you, just because I'm very interested by this mindset. Are you more worried about UTSA this week or Texas Tech next week to make you pit your faves against each other? Um, yeah, this is back-to-back of Mike's friends and coaching. Um, I think Jeff's proven more, obviously, at the head, yeah. at the head coaching position. Joey's only had two games. Tech has more of a talent, uh, less of a talent deficit. Can, um, can I be honest? I think at the important positions on offense, quarterback and wide receiver, I'd take Frank Harris over Donovan any day. And I, I like, I I know that you love your guy uh, Miles Price. I think Loic Fungi is really good, but like, I don't know. I love UTSA's wide receivers. I'm, I don't know. Yeah, but they can probably deal a little better up front. True. And you know that's where games are won. So some people say. Some people say. Um, I, I, I guess I'm more worried about Tech because you got to go to Lubbock. And okay. I, I think the overall roster talent difference is less than – but, I mean, I, I, it should say I'm worried about both of them. I mean, as, if, if it were perfectly healthy Quinn Ewers, I would be, like, kicked back going, hey, with, okay. what's the issue here? But totally fair. we don't know, like – I mean, Hudson Card is literally a, on, a, a on hit a away from us being with – you know, Charles Wright, and we have it's a total unknown in what Charles Wright brings to the table. Very true. And again, the the my my faith in Rashawn Johnson does believe me, does make me believe that even in a nightmare situation, you know, he could pull something out. I want to see him throw from the wildcat. Yeah, I'd love to as well. I think that. That would get me out of my seat. Oh God, this is this could be such a horrible clipped opportunity. Like, a, it is a pick, pick six. Yeah, just a pick six. Just like man, they should throw out of the wildcat. Immediate pick, pick six. If you're throwing out of the wildcat, it should be a play design where nobody can pick six. It should be completely open. And again, like Rashawn Johnson has been so good at Texas in the converted to running back role, but I like them a ton as a quarterback. So it's not like I'd be. It's not like. Um, <laughs> the old I'm trying to even think who was a good wildcat uh QB for Texas and Tyrone Swoops doesn't count first off um they had a pat little Jordan Humphrey I think was a wildcat yeah, QB uh, for Herman he was he was damn near an elite wildcat quarterback um he was so good I want to say like was DeJay Johnson Back from back. He, like, he might have. Didn't he run some wildcat stuff for him? I believe Kyle Porter had a stint as as a in that in that role. Sorry, Kyle. Not, I don't remember that one fondly. No, Lil Jordan was probably the best. And vibes wise, probably Juan Davis would be the best version of a Lil Jordan wildcat because you want to talk about somebody who was awesome, awesome at QB in high school. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was to me. I, I I thought a natural fit for that position, and I think Rashawn as well. I mean, Rashawn essentially at Port Nature's Groves, at least when I saw him play, was just running the wildcat. Like they would just line him up and run quarterback. Power. You said you also saw him against Nederland, where it was a we have to win mid county madness type moment. So this is what does he did throw for about. Oh, yeah. passing attempts for sure but he had 36 carries that night exactly that game specifically it was like we have to we have to beat our crosstown rivals in you know not to get too nerdy but probably the best rivalry in all of uh texas high school football yeah i agree i'm most fun i've had it again all right mike i think that this this probably does it for talking texas well, I'm excited I'm now to, to watch this cover. I, I, I think that we might have to haggle with each other a little bit if it's like a 17-point game and UTSA scores late. Uh, the, if, it, if it doesn't cash in Vegas, it doesn't cash on the podcast. 
I do want to go over this before we get out of here. Okay. Um, and I'm pulling it up right now. Give me one second. All good, dog. I think I'm very sh- curious. This should be a weekly staple. Okay. Uh, were we close or did anything else cash on the specific things? Oh, absolutely. I probably should have. You know, I thought about maybe we hit those every week to start the show. But then I was like, listen, people might just exit out of the show if we open up with the specific things. Even though I will say I did tally it up. We had 14 people tag or DM me in various questions about, hey, uh, Chris Del Conte is being asked about why this person can't get out of the parking garage. Um, it does this cash. Unfortunately, no, because it wasn't the biggest win, but that would have easily, easily. Oh, yeah, that would have easily hit. Um, man, that would have been a good one for you. Oh, you know, one specific. Oh, I guess you'll go through it. But to lead it off, one specific thing, not a mention of Arch Manning on the broadcast. They hit on it on game day, but nothing on the broadcast, which kind of shocked me. Got to be a little bit worried about that so far. Oh, that, absolutely. That Alabama game was a prime example. Um, That's when I thought it would hit, and it sure didn't. Again, I maybe shouldn't have been as specific. I maybe should have said including college game day, but, you know. There has been no Lamborghini talk. Wild. I, I think that's just going to have to wait until Bijan really has his first breakout game of the year. Yeah, Um did we – were there any Texas's back tweets after Texas took a lead? Yeah, with you screenshotted it. Oh, that's right. So that cashed. Yep, that one hit for sure. And, and, again, to be clear, that this is your board that we're going down. Yeah, I'm just going from the top of the article. For, uh, but just for the fans. We did not get to see the USC ratio because USC ratioed stand. USC looks fantastic on offense. They've had a little bit of turnover luck, which me, makes the nerds not like them as much. But – Caleb, we mentioned this. It's a little bit easier to uh, watch Caleb Williams now that he's not at Oklahoma because he's a ball player. Was there any – this is a team that lost to Kansas last year outside of the things I've said on the podcast today? Um, no. Not, no. No. I'm sure there was, but nothing else. Nothing that stuck out or we got tagged in or anything yeah. like that. Um we haven't got to the TCU game yet, so you can't do your round five. Which is uh, essentially two – which you want to talk about setting up perfectly for that, though? Yeah, there were a lot of Gary Patterson mentions on this particular game. And Gary so, was all over the field. Also, again, after watching Colorado get just dog-walked by Air Force and seeing TCU struggle with Colorado, I'm feeling much better about my preseason uh, – uh, I guess, skeptical nature of that program. Uh, never say never, but this was the opportunity for Hudson Card to get his chance mock. Because now if he wins the UTSA game, it's not that moment. Yeah. So again, we were, we were a couple of missed breaks away from an all-timer. If I, hey, I mean, it can always happen later in the season. Quinn comes But back. hopefully not. Really? I, I can't do it again. I need to see Quinn – every single game that he possibly can. Yeah, and then I think we're well on track for Jatavian Sanders having better blocking play and receiving stats than all Texas tight ends combined from the 20. How about them opening up with the Jatavian Sanders screen and just gorgeous. They orbit motion Xavier. This is why I love Sark so much because you can just tell the level of detailed thought that goes into what is the first opening play versus the second Orbiting Xavier Worthy and faking to Bijan Robinson in the same direction completely gets the flow of the Alabama defense to the wide side of the field. You throw back the boundary screen to Jatavian Sanders for an easy 9-10 yard gain that could have been even more. So, like, again, when we're talking about how much we love Sark's scheme and how much recruits love Sark's scheme, I mean, it's just so evident. to Like, it's not, it's not tough to understand. Uh, you're round seven. I don't. I need clarity on this because you've got Britton Marion, our choice addition to the staff, brought different energy and much needed juice. But if that doesn't count, the kicker and punter uncertainty rears its head. So we mentioned time. this. We mentioned this on week one. I did. I got enough. Uh, enough fans hit me back and said that the Brennan Marion and Tashard choice are bringing a different level of energy. Uh, I got enough people to say that that was a valid pick. Okay. I was about to say, because the kicker and punter thing might be trending. 
And again, if you're listening to this and you don't know what we're talking about, this is your first show because it's the first time since the Alabama game that you wanted to listen to the podcast. Just Google Talking Texas podcast specific things. It'll show up on 24-7 Sports as a free article, and you can look through all 10 of our picks. I believe right now Mike does have the lead. And after the season, and well, during the season, we'll tally them up, and after the season, we'll have a recap show. All right. That's good for – that's it for me. Okay, Mike, any last words? We have a little bit of uh, stakes on the line heading into <laughs> the week four of Talking Texas. Uh, just no more injuries. Yeah, please, God, please. Like, get let all of the let all of the impact players make it through this game and be healthy heading into. The- I did have a um, I did have a meme ready for after the game. Um, were they to win? And it was the uh, I'm going to show you on the thing, but I'll read it. It was the uh, Thanos uh, like. Oh yeah, what did it cost? Everything? Did you do it? Yes, but what did it cost? Everything. I had a good, I had a good one ready for if they got the got the dub, but you won't get it because you've never watched SpongeBob, which still blows my mind. But it was the Bubble Bowl performance where Squidward is very skeptical about the band's ability to perform, and he's nervous, and he does the nervous one, two, three, and they just put on an all-time classic. So that would have been my. Uh, that would have been my numbies attempt for post game, but for Hudson Standish and Mike Roach, this has been the talking Texas podcast. Thank you all for listening and hook them horns.